What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In July 1970, one of the messiest homicides in history took place on a military base way up inside the Arctic Circle. The cause? A jug of raisin wine. Mario Escamilla, a 33-year-old electronics expert, had made the raisin hooch. And he was looking forward to getting loaded with it. But before he could, an alcoholic technician named Donald Levitt stole his jug. So Escamilla appealed to the only real authority there was on base and went after him. Within a few hours, there would be a dead man bleeding out on the ice. But what makes this killing so remarkable isn't who died or how, but where. You see, Escamilla's base wasn't on land. It wasn't at sea either, or even on a ship. The killing took place on a drifting ice island, a place where no nation's laws applied. As a result, there were serious questions about whether the killer would ever be brought to justice. And the consequences of this killing extend far beyond one Arctic no-man's land. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. In fact, the consequences extend farther than human beings have ever traveled. 12, 11, 10. That's because this case is the closest analogy we have. 6, 5, 4. To what humankind will face after the first murder in outer space. Hi, I'm Sam Keen, and you're listening to The Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciency history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. The idea for occupying ice islands started with Winston Churchill, who suggested using them as unsinkable aircraft carriers during World War II. But no one actually tried occupying one until Cold War paranoia peaked in the 1950s. The Soviet Union took over a half dozen ice islands north of Siberia, stoking fears of a trans-Arctic invasion. 
So the U.S. government retaliated and took over an ice island of its own called T-3. Now, this wasn't like the ice that sunk the Titanic. That was an ice berg. T-3 was an ice island, much bigger and flatter, roughly 7 miles by 3 miles and 100 feet thick. Decade by decade, it drifted in a slow clockwise circle between the North Pole and Upper Canada. In 1970, T-3's population consisted of 19 civilians. They mostly did meteorology and ocean research. And on the good days, things were actually kind of beautiful there. Near the edges of the island, gorgeous pools of meltwater would open up sometimes. Some of the pools reached down to the open ocean beneath. And a seal might playfully pop its head up and bark. And when the sun beat down during the summer, the temperature might soar to 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And the scientists would gather outside in t-shirts and soak up some rays. (sighs) Other days, however, the temperature would drop below negative 60. With winds over 160 miles per hour. And weather wasn't the half of it. Polar bears swam up and ravaged their food supplies. The endless 24-hour sun in the summer left them sleepless and bleary. Diesel fumes from the generators pervaded everything, even the drinking water. And because I know you're wondering, the bathrooms? Two 55-gallon barrels, and that's it. But the real problem was boredom. There was nothing to do. For books, they had some old pot boilers. For movies, a few 16-millimeter reels they'd seen a dozen times. For music, two eight-tracks. When the truth is found to be One of them was Jefferson Airplane. Worse, the scientists had virtually no contact with the outside world. Satellite communication was iffy and often failed, and no new faces showed up, ever. Planes actually couldn't land on T3 most of the summer, since the surface of the ice turned dangerously slushy under the sun. So after the initial arrival of people in the spring, that was it. Just 19 smelly dudes with nothing to do but stare at each other. As a result, T3 attracted the dregs of science. Misfits and weirdos and drunks. Guys with nicknames like Heck and Twitch. And all that angry, bored, twitchy energy finally came to a head exactly 50 years ago, on July 16, 1970. Donald Levitt was nicknamed Porky. He was a drunk and a mean one. When he ran low on liquor, he'd attack people with a meat cleaver to get his hands on their booze. On the night of July 16th, Porky targeted Mario Escamilla, breaking into Escamilla's trailer and stealing his prized jug of raisin wine. Why Escamilla made raisin wine isn't clear, but booze was heavy and expensive to ship to T3. Much cheaper to order some dry fruit and just science it and make hooch on your own. Regardless, the jug was all Escamilla had, 
and when it disappeared, something snapped. He was actually an unlikely vigilante. He was pudgy and wore glasses and was considered pretty wimpy. But when he heard about the theft, he grabbed the base rifle and marched over to confront Porky Levitt. It was nearly 11 p.m., but the Arctic sun was blazing, blazing as fiercely as during a Wild West high noon showdown. Unfortunately, Eskimia didn't know that the rifle he'd grabbed was faulty. One hard bump, even without pulling the trigger, and it would fire. Eskimia found Porky in a trailer with a guy named Benny Lightsey, a 31-year-old oceanographer from Louisville. Porky and Lightsey were, to put it mildly, shit-faced. They'd whipped up a truly foul concoction of raisin wine, Everclear, and grape juice, and were taking some long pulls. Lightsey's blood alcohol level was later estimated to be 0.26. Porky and Lightsey no doubt had a good, humiliating laugh at Escamilla, the chubby little electrician who was sputtering mad and waving a gun around, like he had the balls to shoot anyone. But given how sloppy drunk they were, Escamilla wrestled his jug away. Then he stomped back to his trailer, still fuming. A few minutes later, Eskimia heard someone approaching. And, frightfully aware of Porky's history with meat cleavers, he grabbed the rifle and opened the door to face him. Except, it wasn't Porky standing there. It was Benny Lightsey, and he wanted to chat. Now, Lightsey was technically Escamilla's boss on T3, and a good boss would have shown up just like Lightsey did and tried to defuse the tension. Lightsey wasn't being a good boss, though. He was wasted, and he pushed his way into Escamilla's trailer. Then he started bawling Escamilla out for being such a hard-on. Why was he so selfish? Why couldn't he just share the raisin wine? Escamilla didn't want to hear it. He was tired and pissed off and wanted the drunken, slurring Lightsey to leave. So he gestured with the rifle toward the door. And in doing so, he bumped the butt against a table. The bullet caught Lightsey right in the chest. T3 had no doctor and no medical facilities. Another scientist, Richard Scatellini, nicknamed Scat, heard the shot and rushed over. He found Lightsey slumped against the wall, his bloody torso torn wide open. Lightsey choked out. Scat! Help me. A stunned scat turned to Escamilla. Mario, why did you shoot Benny? As reporters genteely put it at the time, Escamilla answered, I fouled up. Scat and Escamilla gave Lightsey some oxygen, but it was no use. He bled out within minutes.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It was at this point that the real chaos started, the legal mess. After the T3 scientists finally reached someone via satellite to report the killing, four U.S. Marshals were dispatched to the ice island. Airplanes still couldn't land due to slush, so the Marshals took a helicopter from Greenland. Only the helicopter didn't have enough range to cross the Arctic, so it had to refuel twice in mid-air using refueling airplanes. A dangerous maneuver anyway, and doubly so over the blustery Arctic. Several harrowing hours later, the marshals touched down on T-3 and arrested Escamilla. Then they hauled him and the rifle, and Lightsey's frozen body, back to Greenland, refueling twice more on the way. Now U.S. officials had to decide where to charge Escamilla with murder, or even whether they could charge him. T-3 was technically run by the Air Force, but Escamilla was a civilian, so they couldn't court-martial him. The nearest landmass was Canada, but T-3 lay well outside Canada's territorial waters, so Canada had no jurisdiction. Perhaps the law of the sea applied. After all, T-3 was in some sense the literal high seas, being high-latitude frozen seawater. Except the law of the sea applies only to navigable areas, and T-3 wasn't navigable. In summary, T3 was neither fish nor fowl, and some legal scholars seriously questioned whether any nation had the right to try Escamilla. As one noted, he'd committed a felony in one of the few places on earth where, legally, there were no consequences. In the end, might essentially made right here. Escamilla was in the hands of U.S. Marshals, who'd be damned if they were going to let him go free. They quickly hustled him out of Greenland for America. Escamilla was then charged with murder in Virginia. Why there? For the less-than-airtight reason that, um, Virginia was the first place they landed, at Dulles Airport. Escamilla initially appeared in court in the same Arctic gear and black rubber boots he'd been arrested in. During his trial, Escamilla's lawyers had a field day poking holes in the proceedings. First, there was the question of whether the government had the right to try Escamilla, given T3's legal limbo. 
Second, and quite cleverly, Escamilla's lawyers challenged whether the trial was constitutionally fair, on the grounds that Escamilla couldn't possibly be tried by a jury of peers in Virginia. After all, T3 had no police force, and a meat-cleaver maniac was running around there. Property rights there were enforced the old-fashioned way. Contrast that to suburban Virginia, where most people's grimmest daily fears involve traffic. Could a jury there really understand the pressures Escamilla faced and properly judge his actions? Despite these reasonable objections, Escamilla's trial went forward, and the verdict came down in May 1971. He dodged the murder charge, but got nailed for manslaughter. Later, thankfully, the conviction got overturned, thanks to forensic evidence that the rifle from T3 was dangerously faulty. As a result, Escamilla walked away a free man. But because of that acquittal, all the juicy legal questions remained unresolved. T3 was essentially treated as a freak occurrence, a random, one-off event. But it won't be. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. The Escamilla killing took place on July 16, 1970. That's one year to the day after the launch of the Apollo rocket that brought the first human beings to the moon. We have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour, liftoff on Apollo 11. And even at that time, legal scholars realized that the Escamilla case had huge implications for crime in space. Human spaceflight is often portrayed in heroic terms, and rightly so. But where human beings boldly go, crime will follow and the legal issues involved will make the Escamilla case look like traffic court. Actually, there were media reports last year that the first crime in space had supposedly taken place. An American astronaut reportedly got access to her estranged wife's bank account from computers on the International Space Station. But those charges were dropped earlier this year. That case would have involved two Americans and an American bank anyway and it took place on an American portion of the International Space Station, so only American laws would have applied. In contrast, consider this scenario. A German woman poisons a Congolese man with Brazilian-made drugs on a spaceship owned by a Chinese-Belgian conglomerate that's headquartered in Luxembourg as a tax dodge. Who the hell's in charge then? When colonies get set up on Mars and people start having children there, things will get even dicier. Should an Earth court really have jurisdiction over people who have never set foot on Earth in their entire lives? Space might even give rise to new types of crime. It wouldn't make sense to talk about a guaranteed legal right to air on Earth, but in space it would. Ditto for a right to communicate with Earth, or even a right to entertainment or mind-altering substances. Given the dangers of space, denying those things could sabotage someone's mental health by denying them the chance to decompress or blow off steam. New environment, new crimes. As another issue, how would you arrest someone in space? It took U.S. Marshals two full days to reach T3. Mars is multiple months away at its closest, and often over a year. Is it really worth sending someone on an interplanetary mission to make an arrest? Crime investigations would change, too, because simply transferring earthly forensics to other planets wouldn't work. Given the new gravity and air and soil, dust samples and splatter patterns would differ, and fires would burn differently as well. Corpses would also decay differently. If left outdoors and bombarded with ultraviolet light, the exposed top half of a body might grow bleached and leathery, like white beef jerky. 
Meanwhile, in the absence of microbes that promote decay, the sheltered bottom half of the body could look eerily preserved. Then there's the question of fair trials in a jury of peers. If sitting on an ice island for months on end listening to a Jefferson Airplane song for the 10,000th time sounds like hell on earth to you, well, just wait until you're doing that while trapped in a tiny geodesic hut, breathing recycled air a hundred million miles away from everything you've ever called home. Could any Earthling truly understand life on Mars and pass judgment on someone living there? Given all the complications, perhaps space colonists should try their own criminals. Then again, imagine a 22nd century Porky Levitt murdering somebody on Mars. Does it really make sense to toss him in space jail for life, especially if he's going to sit there and just consume air and water and food? The community needs those resources. So perhaps colonists should go medieval and immediately execute people for crimes, or turn them loose to die of exposure on some godforsaken expanse. But what if the murderer isn't some lowly technician, but the base's doctor or the engineer that runs the power station? Killing them would endanger everyone. There are no easy choices here. Mario Escamilla had no desire to become a legal pioneer. He just wanted his raisin wine back. But as we escape to the stars, expect to hear more about Escamilla and how to handle crimes in the great beyond. When it comes to the perils of outer space, we usually think about the searing cold or suffocating from a lack of air. But just like down here, one of the most acute dangers of life in space will be the people. For more information about this episode, visit patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. There, you can also suggest stories for future episodes, get signed merchandise, and find bonus material like extra podcasts and pictures. Also visit samkeen.com slash podcast. There you can find more incredible stories from my books and learn how to book me as a speaker at your school or event. And if you like this podcast, please spread the word to others, both online and in person. I'm listener-supported. And word of mouth means a lot. Thanks for listening to The Disappearing Spoon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.